Hi, I'm Lucas Meldon and welcome to That Windsurf Podcast. This is the podcast where we have conversations with people in and around the windsurf community with a new topic and new guests each week. If you enjoyed the podcast, then don't hesitate to give it a like and subscribe so you're up to date with all the latest ones. If you're feeling extra generous, you can always head over to buymeacoffee.com slash lucask579. That'll be in the description and that will be very much appreciated. So yeah, if you know anybody else who might like it, then let them know and share the pod. It's now up on a few platforms, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Anyway, enough about that. Let's get into it. Aruba. Hi, sir. West Australia. Cape Town. That could be dramatic. <laughs> that would be a dream tour. Every time. How's it going, people? We're back the sixth episode of that Windsurf podcast. Feels like it's uh, we've had a lot, but it's actually not that many. Anyway, today I'm going to be talking to Windsurf royalty. I'm joined by the queen of freestyle, or even windsurfing, Sarah Keita, <laughs> and also multiple champ and one of the nicest guys you ever meet. It's Victor Fernandez. Welcome, guys. How's it going? Hello. Pretty good. Hello. Thank you. Sarah, you're in Aruba, and Victor in Maui right now. Yep. Exactly. How's the quarantine been for you two guys? Yeah, I've been uh, I've been in Aruba since uh, end of February. I flew. Uh, I was. I just flew to Australia and just came back. And I think about two weeks after that, like everything started happening. So then, yeah, I've been home for about four months now, and that's like the first time in ten years I've been home this long. And but honestly, I think if I compare it to the rest of the world, like I've I've always been able to keep on sailing. And it, and lucky me, it's also like the windy season. So I have been sailing non-stop for the past three and a half months also Uda is here she she got stuck like she wasn't able to go back home but it's been good like we were not um denied to go to the beach so we just used that time to train as much as we could for me I arrived on Maui on the 3rd of March and uh, yeah just on the start of the COVID-19 and then we were thinking on coming coming back to Spain with the family and now with the baby it's harder, so we decided to stay, and I, actually it was a good decision because here on Maui we were also able to windsurf all the time, even though they closed the beach parks, but you were allowed to park next to the road and then just walk to the beach and, and rig on the beach and go in the water. So it's been, it's been epic. Here it's been windy all the time, a lot of swell. They said it's been one of the best winters, so... <laughs> I can't really go and play. We even did the photo shoot because I'm here with Mark Paré and Adam Lewis and Arthur Arutkin was here too. So we got some of the gear, wet gear, and we did really, really nice shots. I think yeah. we were lucky. We've been uh, pretty jealous. I know I had Adam and Mark on, on a different one and they've been saying how like good it's been for spring. Like so many swells and, and windy still. So not bad. Yeah. <laughs> And it, it was great because, you know, Brasino is living here, Swifty, there were many good local riders to sail with. And we've been pushing each other a lot. Uh, the last few weeks, it's been less wavy, but we got a few south swell in, uh, in La Perouse. And it, it, was, it was really amazing. I sailed it there for the first time two weeks ago and just five days ago again. So I'm pretty happy to sail a bit of Portag on my way. Yeah. In in such an epic spot. <laughs> yeah. And Sarah, you just said like before we, we started how it's been so windy. Yeah. The wind picked up a little bit late. Normally it gets really windy in March already, but it picked up 
like first or second week of April. Like it was windy, but like as of April, it just was 25 knots nonstop for like five, 25 and up for like five to six weeks. So um, yeah, like I felt so much I had to take a break, you know, because my body was just not functioning anymore. But the cool thing, the cool thing about being home also like, just like Victor, like I also found some new spots to sail at. We also have like some really nice wave spots that I would never go to, but that's because I'm from here, you know, it's a 30 minute drive and for island standards, it's pretty far. So you won't make the effort to go. Um, but actually on this trip, I've been going there a lot. And yeah, so it's been cool to like go freestyling, wave sailing, slalom, like all, all on the same island. So it's been, yeah, pretty epic also. Mm-hmm. And and Victor, you've just overall probably had a pretty pretty crazy year with the baby and then the COVID. So yeah, my baby was born end of November, and uh, then I was in he was born in Switzerland because my girlfriend is from Switzerland. So I stayed there for a month, and then I went to Spain, and then I organized the PWA youth event at my windsurf center in Almerimar. Uh, yeah, it was it was pretty good. We got a lot of kids, and we just ran the slalom. Uh, slalom discipline and uh, yeah it, w- it was great to be at home for a little bit I was not lucky at home with conditions January and February but then when I got to Maui it was like every day and today is super windy I think today is like almost 3-7 if we sail down in Sprex or Kamwan it's really good jumping super happy to be here because we're also testing uh, a few new sails because Kai just built the loft again I hope he'll develop in, in, at his place in Haiku. And he's done incredible sales to test for me, Adam and Mark. Uh, yeah, we are every day trying new things. He changed something on the sale and and we are pushing a lot. It's great. Mm-hmm. And so you've been, you've got a training partner with you, Oda's there with you. Is that been, is that been good as well in these times? Yeah, so actually two buddies, Uda is here. And then there's also um, Jordan from France. He's also a really good windsurfer, but he also got stuck here. So, um, and because of all the rules that we're not able to have, like, be social with other people, we were like a group of three. You're allow- only allowed to go around in groups of trees. So we were like hanging out all the time. Um, but yeah, it was good to have, yeah, the three of us on the water to be pushing each other. Um, yeah, it's cool with Oda because she does all the disciplines as well. And I, there's not many windsurfers around that are just as motivated to do everything. And I think that's why I really enjoy sailing and training with her. And then, um, yeah, then there's Jordan that not so many people know about, but he's like a ridiculously good, ridiculous good sailor as well. So, yeah, mm. it's, been, uh, it's been good. There must be quite a, a pretty, pretty sick uh, freestyle scene in Aruba, I guess, and, and the whole Caribbean. I mean, I think compared to the other, like compared to Bonaire or Venezuela, we actually don't have that many freestylers. There's a lot of kids that are doing slalom at the moment. Um, yeah, but I've been off the island for almost 10 years now. Like I'm, I'm, I come home, but I'm, I'm never here longer than a month or something, you know? So I think, yeah, by the time I settle down here a bit more, I'm going to try and push freestyling a bit more. But the freestylers that are around, they, they do have a really good level. But it yeah. seems like the, the younger generation is getting more into slalom. Oh, interesting. Is that because there's, yeah. there's lighter winds or, or how's that? I, I guess um, slalom is just easier, you know. It's, you have more fun quicker with a group of kids because you're just racing. And then with freestyling, it takes a bit more effort to like learn a new move. And um, yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's a big motivation to, to train slalom here. But also the level is really, really good. And we were going to do an IFKA event here in June. Um, and some of the kids here, they would have definitely performed really well. So. 
Mm. Yeah, I'm just going to try and push freestyle a bit more here in the yeah. future. Yeah, that, that, that'll be cool to see. I just remembered now, Victor, when you're talking about your girlfriend, she's obviously a kite surfer. Is there, is there any conflict there? <laughs> uh, no, actually, she's really happy uh, now on my way too because with the baby, it's pretty easy. Like one of us stays with him and the other one goes out in the water. And uh, she, she was uh, competing on the PKRA Tour for many years on the freestyle discipline of kite surfing. And now she's more into the waves. So we can go kind of to the same wave spots. And she goes first, like she launched from lanes, sail upwind at Hukipa from maybe 10.30 until 11.30. So she's going earlier and then I go sailing later when she is done. So yeah, it's pretty good to, to share the same spots. And she's also doing stand-up paddle. Then we got south to Thousand Peaks. There are always little waves, super glassy. So it's a good combination. In this island, it's, it's incredible. You can find so many spots for all the water sports. And uh, yeah, I'm happy that she's also doing all these water sports. I think it's easier to combine with her the time yeah. for each other. She yeah. windsurfing yet? Uh, she does a bit at my center. I teach her a bit, and also here in the photo shoot, we are doing the beginner photo shoot together as a couple. Okay. <laughs> so she practices a bit, but usually here doing the photo shoot is so windy for the beginner board that it's quite hard for her. Yeah. Because it's quite choppy, and I could be on a four-two, and she has to go on a three-seven or so. Yeah. <laughs> but but she, she would like to learn too. It's just a bit hard to coming from kite to land windsurf than the other way around. Because yeah. you know, the, in kite surfing, they are used to to extend the, the arms to to don't kill the power of the kite. And windsurf is where I tend to, to pull the, the boom, you know, like the backhand. Okay. And uh, because I, I kite a little bit, I learned with her. And I was killing the kite all the time with too much power. <laughs> and she was telling me, leave the bar, leave the bar. You're killing the, the wind on the kite. So, yeah. yeah. It's fun to learn yeah. new things. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> always nice to change things up. Talking about sort of beginner stuff, I've heard, Sarah, you're pretty into, into tacking, especially Jager Stone and stuff. <laughs> What's all that about? <laughs> uh, it's just a joke. Jager's, yeah, it's just really stylish in a, in a lot of things he does. And um, I think it's a general joke on tour that Jager has probably the best stacks when he's doing heats and stuff. Like, he comes out of them cleaning. <laughs> So I kind of strive, I kind of strive to tack like he does, but it's just a bit of a joke. Um, and it's, it's always kind of funny because every time I go from my freestyle board to my wave board, it's like I can't tack or jive anymore because it's so much smaller, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah, I check my, my tacking percentage every, every wave session because <laughs> that's almost one of the hardest, like almost harder than a back loop tacking on a wave board. For me now, but... <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard. It's pretty hard. Uh, Ask uh, any sailor, like they will rather, I think they will rather jive than tack, honestly. But yeah, stylish tacking, it's uh, plain, plain in tacking. I'd like to, like to see that. Yeah, watch him. It's uh, <laughs> pretty impressive, <laughs> especially at Coronation because we were there in January. Like both him and his brother, they have exactly the same style. And uh, yeah, he comes out of them painting. It's crazy. <laughs> I started when I was five years old uh, because my father, I started windsurfing when I was born in uh, Almerimar. Uh, he was working in agriculture at that time. 
And then just before I started windsurfing, he started with a windsurfing school in front of a camping uh, at the area where we are from. And then I just, just one day I just picked up the windsurf gear and I just went out and my father had to pick me up because I didn't know how to come back. I was really little and the equipment was really big and heavy in those times. And uh, I just remember I couldn't come back. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I started really early. Before that, I was doing boogie board, uh, getting a bit pounded on the short break and just balance on a windsurfing board without the sail and just playing all day in the water and having fun with other friends that were coming to the camping. Every time I had holidays after school or something, I went with my parents to the camping and we spent time on the beach pretty much every every free day we had. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that's how I started. I just did some local events. We used to compete uh, with, the, you know, the big, big stuff without wind or with really light wind doing course racing and all that. Um, and then I was really like scared of the waves when I started windsurfing. I had the level with seven years old. I was fully planing, jiving, and doing some little jumps and stuff. But then with waves, I got scared. And some of my friends kind of pushed me to go on the waves. And I said, no, no, I'm scared. I don't want to go. And I was hiding those days. Yeah. But then when I, was, I, when I was nine years old, I just went by myself when nobody told me anything just to drive. And uh, yeah, and then I liked it so much that I could not stop until now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I had fear to the waves when I was super young. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty understandable <laughs> when you're young. Uh, yeah, they, they look much bigger when they're you're so, yeah. so little. Yeah, we don't get waves every day at home. So it's harder to, to practice. How's your progression been to your first PWA event? Uh, I was doing all these local events, as I said before, winning some like tournaments in Almeria. And then we had a really nice PVA tour between Spain and Portugal. It was called, uh, the name was Circuito Iberico. Okay. So we had events in, uh, in uh, Viana de Castelo, in uh, Guincho, like three, four events in Portugal, and then like seven, eight events in uh, Spain, also Canary Islands. And then I was just driving with my father on the van to do all these events because they were mainly on the weekends. And I got a lot of experience competing on the Spanish tour as a junior. And then I was competing also with the seniors as a very, in a very young age. And that's how I got a lot of experience on, in competition. My first PWA was when I was uh, 18 years old in uh, Pozo. But that year we didn't run the waves. <laughs> so I competed in freestyle and a slalom as well. And then since then, I've been doing the tour until now. What year was that, when you were 18? When I was 18, it was in 2000. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, they ran slalom and freestyle because we had uh, a super grand slam in Pozo, like Silt, and I yeah. signed up for all the disciplines. And yeah, but we didn't have waves. So I competed in my first wave competition the year after in Pozo in 2001. Okay. Nice little journey there. And, and Sarah, I just feel like you've been on tour for ages and you're still young. So you must have started very, very small. Yeah, feels like ages, yeah. Um, <laughs> so in 2001, I, I guess when I was like nine, ten years old, I started windsurfing together with my brother. We had this um, kids group every Saturday. So from two to four, you go to the beach and with a bunch of kids, you get lessons here at Fisherman's Huts. And um, 
did that for a while. And actually the first, first lesson, I couldn't even lift the sail, honestly. So actually I only really started like the year after. Like in the meantime, my brother kept on windsurfing and he competed at the Aruba High Winds, which is a local contest here. And there's so many people that come from, um, so many international people that come over. And I went to support my brother one day and I just realized the atmosphere on the beach was amazing. You know, people were like competing on the water, but on the beach, they were all friends and just telling stories from what they, from the races and what they um, experienced. So that's when I realized that I wanted to give it a try again. And then from there, it kind of started taking off a bit. My mom entered me for the contest in Bonaire, which is a regatta. So I had about two months to train. So I was sailing every weekend. And then we went with a big group to this event. And I had so much fun that week. We were just just a whole group and just the, the, the friendship um, dynamics between everyone. Like as a team, we would go there and we're like supporting each other. Um, that's also the first time I met all the Bonarian windsurfers and they were already at a high level. Um, and they have like this joy for windsurfing that it's, it's really contagious. Yeah. And since then, so it's been like since 2001 that I've been totally hooked to windsurfing. We've always had this rivalry with the, with the Bonaireans, like at, either at the contest in Bonaire or the Aruba Highlands here, we would, you know, train to make sure we take home the most trophies. In the end, the Bonaireans were really, really good. But on the, the women's side of thing, I was like, we were, we were doing really well, you know? Yeah, but this was really good, you know, because every time I'd come home, because back then, yeah, Kiri is about one year older than me. So like Kiri, Bjorn, you know, I was kind of, because we were competing with the boys also. So I had those guys to look up to. And my brother here was also already really good. So I um, had enough people around me to train with. And then um, freestyle was the main thing here when I started. Like that's the first thing I saw. So that's why I got into freestyling. And then the first PWA event I competed in was in Bonaire in 2003. So I was about 12. The year before I was there for the amateur competition, I was 11. And that's the first time I saw professional windsurfers because I hadn't even heard of them. You know, like the best windsurfers to me were the Bonarians. And then I saw these professional windsurfers freestyling. I'm not sure. Maybe Victor was there in Bonaire. Uh, yeah, I was there. I actually yeah. was doing freestyle, like almost doing more PWA freestyle events at that time than waves because we didn't have many wave events. Yeah, so started competing on tour in uh, 2000, yeah, 2003 when I was 12. I did the first event and then I finished third in Lanzarote for the first time when I was 14. And then That's the crazy. year after... Yeah. Then the year after, I won my first World Cup in Fuerteventura when I was 15. And then two years after, the, the freestyle title. And I think I was just having a lot of fun competing because I was sailing with the best in the world, you know? Like, I, I, I remember looking up to Victor as well in, in Fuerteventura for especially. He had, like, really sick one-handed goiters coming in all the time. And those are things that, you know, I always wanted to do. And I, I think I'm just very lucky that as a kid, I was able to sail with the best in the world already. And then slowly I started realizing, I just started looking at all the different disciplines. Like Aruba is really good for slalom as well. And I did a lot of races as a kid also, but never very seriously on, on tour. So then the first slalom event was also in Fuerte. And this also happened by chance because we were doing freestyle there already. So then I think I borrowed kit from Robbie Swift and a bunch of guys gave me fins and they put the downhaul on, on it for me because I couldn't. And um, from there, I slowly started getting into slalom. And you get that adrenaline from racing, which is amazing. Um, so then that my first event that I finished on the podium was in 2009 in Turkey. Finished second. Yeah, a year after I finished third and a year after I finished, um, yeah, I won the title also. So it's just like it's a progression every time. I just like, like achieved something and then I realized, you know what, I want to try something new also. 
And I think the biggest challenge of all is wave sailing for me because Aruba is very flat. So I didn't grow up with waves. And just like Victor, I also still probably have quite some fear for waves if it gets really big. Um, and this is for me still a big challenge and a goal of mine to get more comfortable in, in bigger conditions and was not be scared to hit a certain lip. And hmm. yeah, I just, I think that's my main goal at the moment, just getting better at, at waves in, in all types of conditions. And you got really good at, at on Maui. The, you won the Aloha Classic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I saw you in really big waves at Hokiba. Oh, so you are getting there. You're getting nice and My heart is in my throat <laughs> sometimes. Like, but um, that's the challenge of Maui. And that's why I like competing there. Because normally I wouldn't charge so much in waves like that. But because I have to, because the green flag is up, I'm, I'm actually pushing. So that's why I like competing so much also. Because I'm doing things that I wouldn't do normally. So, yeah, yeah, every year on the Aloha Classic is massive the first day. Every time. Every time. <laughs> yeah. It's like coming from Europe and sailing in onshore, you know, kind of like onshore waves and not so big. Then you yeah. come here and fully jet lag and you get this massive swell with super light wind and everybody's getting destroyed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's good to watch. So yeah. Maybe not to compete. It's really good to watch. Uh, competing is different. Uh, <laughs> it's it's really challenging. It's it's not the most fun, but it's it's challenging and nice to watch actually. Yeah, I was doing all the disciplines when I was young because on the on the Spanish tour it was an overall uh, title. So oh. if you were doing more disciplines, you had a better chance to have a better ranking at the end of the year like on the PWA years ago. I was a bit better, I think, freestyle and waves than slalom. In the slalom, I was a bit too small at the beginning. I was not fast enough. Um, yeah, I think every discipline helped me to be better in, in waves because when you are so fast on a slalom gear, on the slalom gear, you are less scared to hit the ramp when you are so fast in waves. Uh, <laughs> I think because when you are full speed in the chop in Gran Canaria, where I competed in the PWA, you know, with Bjorn and all these massive guys in these massive jobs. And you could be on a 3.7 and you are competing on a 5.5 slalom sale. It's kind of crazy how fast mm -hmm. you can go in this job. Yeah, my last competition in freestyle was in Fuerteventura. I don't remember exactly the year. But Victor, yeah. I think it was 2010. I remembered when you retired from oh, yeah? I think Are so. you remember? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when you switched completely to wave sailing. I was like, okay. oh. <laughs> so ten, 10 years ago. Yeah, I, I really like all the disciplines. Everyone kind of went to one discipline or another. If we would have had the overall, I would have done all the disciplines all the time. Mm -hmm. But everything went one way or, not, or another. And I just decided to go for waves because, uh, yeah. I do yeah. think you have to focus on one thing if you want to get really good at it. Because from, from my own experience from practicing all three disciplines, I feel like, like what you said, you're always sacrificing one for the, for the other. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm having fun doing all of them, but I also feel like if I focus on one, it would be really, which, you know, you did that to, in waves and you got the title, you know? I think at the beginning, when you start with surfing and you're young, it's really important to do the three of them. Yeah. Because you can also compete in more events and get the experience. But when you are older and you have to focus in one goal, like uh, I was focusing on becoming wave world champion one day, and then I went just to the waves, you know. But all that is behind is what helped me to get these world titles. It helped me so much. So all the experience competing in slalom and freestyle, so many hits that you didn't make it through because of this and that. 
you know, not choosing the right gear in the right moment, not changing their gear during the heat. All these losses uh, gave me the experience to, to, win, uh, to win more hits and events. This year is, is a pretty big disaster with all the competitions. Um, I don't know, actually, I mean, the Canary events have been cancelled. Have, have, have all the events been cancelled, do you know? I think so. I, I think not, not all. I just saw on the website of PWA, you, you go into the calendar, and uh, they just confirmed Croatia for slalom as a one-star event. Uh, and then also Clint Muller is still on the calendar as a, you know, a small uh, one-star wave event. And the Aloha Classic is still on. And I think Marseille for the slalom, they just moved it to October. It was yeah. supposed to be in April, I think, and they just moved it to October. So there's like four or five events still on the calendar. Might happen, might not, but they're still there. Yeah. Hopefully we can we can do at least one. You know, just I think it's good for the sport that we can at least do something this year. Even if it's not counting as a as a world title, but I was gonna say, how do you feel? Like yeah. I know the surfing there. I saw something where they're like, you know, even if we do three events, it's not good enough to be a world champion. So do you think mm -hmm. having like two or even one event, you be crowned world champion? Is that fair or? From my point of view, it's not fair because you are just using one event with one type of conditions to crown the PWA. Is a tour. It's not. And one IFCA event, so I, I think it would not be fair. And also, it's been a year where not everybody was able to train the same time in the water with all these lockdowns. So, uh, like a lot of good guys that were coming to Maui, for example, for the photo shoot to train waves, were just locked down somewhere in Spain or France or you know somewhere in the world, and they were not able to windsurf. Like we've been lucky just because we were here. But yeah, it's been a tricky year, and I, I would not see it fair if, if there would be a world champion just with one event not for the world title that's my opinion okay but whatever happens it will happen yeah like if you have a lower classic you're just a lower classic champion and that's it yeah yeah I and i don't know if they're gonna get all the budget they need to make it as a, uh, as a full world cup also it's my opinion but like years ago for example there was a year we only had two pwa wave events Poso and silt and I remember it was the year that Scott McCarcher won because I was on the tour. And it was 2004. And he won Pozo. And then on Seal, we just did two rounds. And he became world champion. I, I know on the freestyle, for sure, a lot of years, it's just two events as well. And I mean, we've only had one event for freestyle for many years and on Fuerteventura. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm glad I won all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's kind of hard to... Yeah, judge an overall performance based off of one event, especially in a sport like this. There's other sports where there's just one world championship, um, championship yeah. but then yeah. maybe there are less for variables in like conditions, you know, so then it's fine. But in windsurfing, I guess it's nicer to have more events. Also, I mean, other years we've been crowning the world champion only Koso and Sil, just onshore Portak, pretty much. So if the world champion would be crowned just winning the Aloha Classic, it wouldn't be as bad, uh, so bad, you know, worse than that, because it's just mm. an epic condition. It's like crowning someone at pipeline in surfing, kind mm -hmm. of. If if I if I won with one event, I'd be I wouldn't care to be honest. I'd take it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but it, it's it's always because with windsurfing with the tour we've got at the moment, it's 
a lot of people would say it's not entirely fair because it's very port tack on shore but yeah, yeah. It's, it's a tricky one for sure and and how do you feel like about for the first time in a lot a lot of years not doing the whole tour and competing yeah so when they started cancelling events this year yeah that happened early around february already and those were events that i wasn't competing at anyway so that was like france japan korea and then my mind was like you know no way this is gonna last until the summer and then slowly we started realizing that's also gonna happen and so like on one hand because i've been competing a bit like crazy for almost five years now because just doing all the disciplines and all the events and it was a bit tiring and i was never home and i'm just yeah just traveling all the time so at first it felt like oh man you know i can i can have a breather now i can relax a bit and so i do see it like that also like a, a bit of a break but at the same time i've been home for four months now and i've been sailing and training a lot but i'm, I'm missing this push of, of something to like train something to look forward to so and and i miss the events like i love the tour i love hanging out with all the sailors i love all the stories and everything that happens on tour also um all the funny things that happen during competition like it's yeah i love it like i live for that so i'm pretty bummed that none of it is gonna happen like the canaries for me is one of my favorite times of the year and um but yeah having said that i guess knowing that all these events are not happening it's also a good time to like reflect and see what you really really want to do in the future so I, for me, I just feel like I'm lucky that I live, that I'm from this island. So I've been able to sail a lot and which in the end is my first passion anyway, just being able to be on the water. But I also, yeah, kind of maybe reset already my mind for next year and just taking this extra time to like train properly, you know, instead of moving from one contest to the next and traveling all the time, I'm in one spot and I'm more focused on, on, on what I want to learn and stuff. So maybe that's also a good thing. Mm. Yeah, focusing for, for 2021 and on yeah. that note, do you, do you know and any news at all out there? Is it going to be like the same tour? I mean, I guess this is an opportunity, if any, to, to change it around a bit. I haven't heard so much actually for next year. The only thing I know is that, um, that you know, what, what's happening now might have like longer lasting effects. So I, I'm not even sure how many events we will have next year because you know not all countries or all economies will be like properly recovered to, to, to host events um, so I, I cannot say much about it like I hope everything will, will start going again and maybe because people have been like in quarantine and confined a bit maybe because of that people will want to get out more and, and windsurf and stuff so maybe there will be a push to actually organize more events but, but I'm ready to compete again next year <laughs> It's possible it could be like a slow build back into it, but I guess it's going to take time, eh? Yeah, I guess the big events, you know, like Silt, um, I would be pretty confident that the Canaries would also be happening next year. Maybe smaller events are a bit harder. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> have you noticed or has there been an evolution in like the way events have been run or on the way they market or, or the points? Uh, a little bit of a change in the... In the points for the winner, I think there's a bit of a gap when you win the event compared to the second or third. Uh, before it was kind of the same gap, first, second, third in points, I think. And uh, they gave a little bit more value to winning the event. And uh, not having the discard after four events for the, for the men's, I think it's great because we've seen the last year, how many guys were on the title race until the last event, which makes it more interesting. 
and it actually counts. And because some of the years before, Maui didn't really count because we had three events before and then the number four is a discard. And then it was always kind of Maui, different conditions. And uh, yeah, a lot of people were not, didn't agree on that. So that's why we, we changed it in the end. And I think it's right because it's in the end, the most complete guy should should win the, the tour. And we don't have many events anyway, so why we should discard uh, the fourth event if we don't have, you know, at least, I don't know, seven or eight events. Or in surfing, they have 11, they always run it and they discard two events. But we have, we're in a different position. But I guess those rules also came yeah. later, right? Because before you had a lot of events and then slowly there were less. So those rules, they were not changed. No? Yeah, I mean, before, like in, when was it? 2004, five. as I said before, we had only two events, Pozo and Silt. Oh, yeah. We had we had more prize money. So we decided to go lower in the prize money to get more events. And it's when it's the year in 2006 when we got Cape Verde on tour and we had this epic Cape Verde event. Uh, and also Brazil came on tour. So we got like two, three more events after we did that that cut on the price money. But then the year after we came back again to three or four events. So it didn't, it helped for one year and then a year later we mm. came back to the same. I was going to say, would you prefer uh, like to have loads of events but less prize money? Or for you, is it actually more economical to have less events and, and bigger prize money? Because obviously the travel cost for you guys. I think the like the price money we have now, and um, also like we have fair judging, all this costs money. You know, I think it's really important. The price money for sure is important, but it's more important to have this judge crew that it's not like your local friend judging people because that's not really fair and professional. So uh, I think we should have this budget for this for these things. You know, it's really important also. In many or most of the events, we have free accommodation for top sailors. That's also a good thing because when you have many events and you have to pay everything by yourself, it's really expensive. So I would prefer to keep it as it is and maybe do these small events like they are doing now with one star, you know, that they don't count the same, but they still count a little bit. And we are having more events on the calendar and more opportunities for newcomers. I think that's the way to do it, like they do in surfing. Smaller events count less, bigger events count more. Uh, but if we just reduce everything and we just go for free to every event, it's not really professional, even if we go to epic conditions. But we at least have live stream. People can watch from home. That's really professional. Uh, some press money, fair judging. All, all these things, they cost money and we need all that to mm -hmm. do a professional tour. Like, like Victor said, they already dropped the prize money a couple of years ago. And as a professional, I don't think, like, if you want to be a professional windsurfer and we're competing on this tour, I don't think, I think this is like the limit. We drop it more than that, then you kind of lose certain standards. Yeah. So I, like, at this price level, it would just be nice to have more events as well. But if you go lower than that and you have more events, then actually you can't, um, you can't budget it, like, you don't earn enough to go to everything. So then that will create another problem. You know, you have a bunch of events, but then some riders are not able to finance themselves to go to these events. So definitely not go lower on the prize money, I would say. But I guess there's there's a different way of maybe like packaging the sport and presenting it to people to, to, make, to give it. I think that's the main argument to like 
make sure that our events have more value. I think we just need to find a different format for the way events are being held. You know, then there's more countries that will want to host more windsurfing events and stuff. But I guess it, that's like, that's been a main topic for a while now. And I think like we have these meetings with PWA every year and everyone has ideas and stuff, but I think we just haven't been able to implement it like really, really well yet. I, so I think like, for example, wave and freestyle is maybe the hardest one. Like freestyle is the hardest one to understand for people. Racing is the easiest one. And they also have the most events because the one that crosses the line in first wins. So that's, you know, that's clear for the spectators. People that are watching wave sailing is really spectacular to watch with the jumping and the riding. And freestyle is fun, but I, from what I understand, like for example, take my dad. He knows, like he's seen me freestyling as a kid, but he will still watch more of my slalom races than me freestyling because after one or two tricks, it's, it all seems the same. So I just think for those two disciplines or for freestyling, most of all, just, yeah, need to find a different way of like presenting it yeah. to have it, make it more appealing. But, um, I think for yeah. wave events, it's really hard to get the, the budget we need because the best spots are usually in the most remote locations, let's say, and then it's really hard to get the budget. So what we will need is a title sponsor for the tour. Like this, it would be easier, you know, to say, okay, we have the events we have now, but then maybe we can have two or three events to a sick location because we have the budget, even if you don't have the crowd to watch the event, just with the live stream and the epic conditions, let's say, Fiji or, I don't know, or West Australia, you know, Narlu, somewhere like this. It's what we are just missing, like a few events with these epic dream conditions. We have Maui, but Maui, yeah, Maui, it's, it's kind of hard to get the budget. It's really strange because a lot of windsurfing tourists come here and they spend a lot of money. It's a really expensive island to be. Yeah. Uh, but with a title sponsor, you know, you could say, okay, we have this budget for these two or three events extra. We get it from there and uh, yeah, we need a brand that say, okay, I, I want to kind of not buy windsurfing, but kind of, mm -hmm. I want this tour to, to become better and to, to show it to the world more. Yeah, it almost looked like Mercedes was doing, we did Silt and then they did Maui. So yeah, so, something along those lines. I think it's a great opportunity for a, a big yeah. company, big brand to, to say, okay, I want to kind of buy windsurfing <laughs> yeah. and do, do, do a great tour with all these disciplines. In a slalom, it's much easier. They've been getting a lot of slalom events in the last few years. I think they even have a little bit more price money because they can get close to the big cities and get big companies involved into the sponsorship. I was going to say, like, if you could add five new spots on the wave calendar, Victor, where would you like to see it go? I would like to, for example, Indonesia, Porta on the line. Uh, I would like to see Cabo Verde back on tour. Yeah. <laughs> so a bit of a mix, Stabortag, Portag. Because the jumping, we have it already. We have six events. Poso is incredible, Tenerife. Uh, Silt is incredible because we need that for the with the crowd. One place mm -hmm. where the crowd is really important on the beach and for the media. Uh, even though it's not the greatest conditions, it can be really fun too. Also, West Australia, I haven't been there, but I hear so many nice things about Natlu mm. <laughs> or this wave. Cape Town would be epic. Yeah. I mean, we have so many incredible spots around the world. True. But as I said, it's really hard to get the budget and to get all the people there. It would be amazing to that see. That would be a dream tour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Sarah, definitely the freestyle has been lacking 
over some years. So like for you, what, what freestyle events would you like to see really? Where in the world? I'd love to see one back home here in Aruba. Bonaire is always, so for me, yeah, so we did Aruba here 2011 one time and then also Bonaire. And I think these events are very important to show the, the level of freestyling because for example, Fuerteventura is super interesting to watch because of the waves and the wind, but it's a hard spot. So you won't always see like the highest, you see big moves, but not necessarily the highest level. But then you saw last year in Bonaire, like the way Amado was competing and the points he was putting down, it was ridiculous. And that's just because the spot is such, a, such an easy spot. So I think Bonaire, for example, would be great just to show the level. Margarita could be fun. Eliake. Um, Pozo, like we used to, they used, no, I competed there in freestyle also. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a way freestyle. It's one of the most fu yeah. fun spots ever. It's the same like Coronation also in Australia. It's like flat water and waves. And I think like that, you can give such a great show with freestyling. Even silt. Silt is, it's a bit difficult, but because of all the waves and stuff, it makes freestyling very interesting to watch. What about um, Jericho Aquara? Jerry would, yeah, because that would be like a starboard tack event. That would be like opposite to, to Fuete. So Jerry would definitely be good. So that's it for part one. Hope you enjoyed it. Part two with Victor and Sarah will be out at some point next week. As I said, if you enjoyed it, please go and hit that subscribe button. That help a lot. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can head over to buy me a coffee and buy me a coffee or two. Cheers. Cheers.